So the famous writer George Bernard Shaw once said, it is sometimes said that nothing is certain in life except death and taxes. That's not wholly true. A clever man with a good lawyer can find a way around most, if not all, of his taxes, but no one escapes death. The statistics on death haven't changed. One out of one person dies. It doesn't matter if you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor, popular or successful. As humans, we all have this one thing in common. We die. You might not like it. You might not want to think about it. You might, frankly, not care very much about it tonight. But it happens. There's no way around it. And Richard Branson, the billionaire owner of the company Virgin, was asked how he'd like to be remembered. And he said, I don't want to be remembered. I want to be here. The Bible talks about death a lot. In Ecclesiastes 7, it says, And the day of death is better than the day of birth. And it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. You see, it helps a lot for us to face up and think about the end because it helps us set our priorities in our lives now, what's important. But from a a purely human perspective, death is the end of hope. So if you have to face the end of everything, and then you have to kind of maximise this bit here, you have to live life to the max, as it says on the Pepsi Max can, or seize the day, carpe diem, in Dead Poets Society. Because if that's all you've got, and afterwards, that's it. There's no hope. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And resurrection means raised to life. So I want us to take a look at what he meant, what Jesus meant. I'm going to read the story of the the dramatic story of the death and raising to life of Lazarus in John chapter 11. First there's death, then comes life. Or out of the ashes, life rises up. It's a massive biblical theme. Jesus being the resurrection and the life literally makes all the difference for us today. It's not just a good statement, it absolutely changes everything. So if I got the verses in time this week into the office, then they should come up. If not, if you've got a Bible with you, even better. I'm gonna, if we can turn to John chapter 11, I'm going to be reading through a bit, and then I'll skip through a bit, but I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going. So we're going to start, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, in he in whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his, and his sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now skip Forward to verse 11. After saying these things, that's Jesus, he said to them, that's the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. I just want to quickly just say that I love the disciples because they make me feel really encouraged. They spend three years with Jesus, day in, day out, and they don't have a clue about anything. They don't understand it. And yet, uh, so that encourages me. The disciples said to him, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Go through to 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, 
about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And to turn over, verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odour. For he's been dead for four years. Four days, sorry. Four years, days. Still possible. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you'd always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and feet, with his hands and feet bound with linen cloths, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. That's a pretty incredible story, isn't it? Pretty dramatic. And I want us to see today that this statement in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life, isn't just an add-on. The story shows us two main things that I want to draw out tonight. One, it shows us that God's power is available for the church today. There should be signs and wonders when we preach the gospel, not just preach the gospel in here, preach the gospel in our workplaces and in our families and in our communities. We can expect healing. And two, it points to Jesus' greater work of salvation. This miracle, actually, in the last parts of this chapter, it's so shocking, the raising of Lazarus from, from life to death, from death to life, actually started the chain of events in the plot to kill Jesus. Out of death comes life. The resurrection is massive, You see, the raising to life bit is vital to the early church. Read through the book of Acts, and you see that that they preach the resurrection over and over again. That's where they start with. This was the main emphasis for their preaching in the early church. They preached that Jesus was alive, that he was no longer dead, and that's why people could be healed. And that's why you need to believe in this king to have eternal life. Today, we can can emphasize the sinfulness of man, which is utterly true. And we can emphasise the cross and the need for forgiveness only, which again is essential and vital. But without the resurrection, we follow only a dead man. Where's the life? It means everything for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. It's the whole shebang that we need. Not preaching the resurrection leads to religious works, rules, legalism, and not life. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The Apostle Paul says, just to to highlight this, about how vital the resurrection is, he says, 
in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Futile. As a little aside before we get into those, uh, into those two things, do you notice how personal and emotive this story is? It's full of close relationship and friendship. God's compassion for people. Listen. Reread. It says, Lord, he in whom you love is ill. He in whom you love. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And it's important to see this. In this story, for us as followers of Jesus, we can see the very heart of God towards us. We're loved by God. Not just here to do as he says, but made for loving relationship. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, weren't just acquaintances of Jesus, just people we sort of knew. These guys were great friends. They were loved and they were important to him. Jesus has stayed with them before and there's a closeness in how they talk. In, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 10, they record another occasion where he stayed with them. And this is friendship and it's valued. Friendship's good. I love my friends. I love having fun with them. I hope they love me too. I don't know, you'd have to ask them. But enjoying good times and bad with them and letting others speak into my life. We need our friends to sharpen us and good friends push us on with our walk with God. But friendships take time an effort, but they're worth it. I've got to say this, I'm not a massive fan of Facebook, but there is many positives to it, I know. But uh, beware of substitute uh, friendships. You don't have 5,000 5, friendships just because your Facebook account says it. People need to rule you. Jesus, the Son of God, is greatly affected by his friend Lazarus' death. He loves his friend, he hates death, and he wept at this death. The shortest verse in the Bible is here in this chapter. Verse 35 says simply, Jesus wept. He's not stoical or hard or unemotional. Death is horrible. It's a result of sin and Jesus hates it. Knowing the end of the story that Jesus is the, is the victor and is, he's coming back, knowing the end of that story doesn't mean we don't weep at the suffering and walk around stating, coldly stating truth. This was kind of Martha's mistake in verses 21 to 27. When Jesus comes to the town, he meets Martha first. Her brother's just died. It's raw and it's painful for her. And here she sees what she thought was her last hope in Jesus. But it's too late. Lazarus is gone. So as Martha talks with Jesus, she sounds kind of resolute. She speaks as though hope is gone. There's nothing that can be done. And she holds dryly to this teaching that all will rise on the last day. Yeah, I believe for them, in the future, but not for now, not for today. And we can do that too, holding out a belief that it's all going to be righted in the end when Jesus comes again, but accepting the way that it is now. I want to pause there and take a risk, because as I was preparing this, I really felt God speak to me. And just as the word came in our worship time about the heart, I felt God saying that to me. He wants our heart. It's not about what we do. He's done it. He's done everything for us. He wants our heart. He loves us. And I felt to say that, that there may be people here tonight even that feel a sense of their life. They know Jesus, but you're caught up in loads of stuff that you're doing. It's all about doing, rushing around, doing this, doing that. And I felt him saying, no, I, I want your heart. Why? Just because. I knew you before the creation of time. I chose you. And I love you. I'm a father. Offer friendship, your sons and daughters. 
And we're going to get a chance to pray, if that's you. We're going to get a chance to pray later. But I just want that to sit with you as we carry on. So the first thing I want to draw out is that because Jesus is the resurrection and the power, the life, there is power today for the church. We don't have to just accept sickness and suffering. We can pray and expect God to come and do what only he can do. Signs and wonders are to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. They're not the main deal, but we should see them as we preach the greater work of redemption. The book of Acts is littered with them. And Paul says in Romans 15, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul expected and saw it. In Acts 3, there's a story of the healing of a beggar who can't walk. They couldn't, couldn't walk from birth. And Peter and John, the disciples, have, have nothing to give. And you might know this verse. They say, no silver or gold do I have. But what I do, I give to you. Get up and walk. I command the man to get up and walk. They don't even pray. They're not even standing there. Lord, please, please will you do this? They just command him. They know that God's going to do it. It's a miracle. And to this, the crowds around them are speechless with shock. They gather around. And Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And what does he preach? If you read it in Acts 3, the resurrection of Jesus, life. The raising to life of Lazarus is an incredible miracle. I'm going to read it again, 38, verse 38. And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, just listen to it. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Think about it. A, dead, a man dead for four days in a tomb, wrapped in cloth, stinking, dead, sealed, gone. And yet Jesus commands, and out he comes alive. I've not seen a miracle like that. Just because I've not seen it, does that mean that we shouldn't expect miracles? I long to. I want my faith to increase. What gets me as well is that if we go back to verse 6, it says, so when he, Jesus, that is, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus doesn't rush off to deal with his tragedy. Does that make any sense to you? Jesus loved Lazarus, he's his friend, so you think he would rush. What would you do? My friend's ill, I've got to drop everything, I've got to go, I've got to go and help him. But he didn't rush to Lazarus. He stayed where he was for two days longer. I'm a firefighter. My whole job is a response emergency service. We train hard and we wait around ready for a call. And when it comes in, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. I know some of you think I play ping pong all day. But whatever we're doing, training, whatever it is, sitting down to a nice lunch, we go. We get up, we go down the pole, we get out the, get out the station, 60 seconds, you're gone. Every second counts. It literally matters. We need to get where we're going fast. But Jesus, he doesn't rush It says out of love, Jesus didn't come straight away. What power Jesus knew, that he doesn't panic. He had purpose. And the early church went out with purpose too because of Jesus' resurrection. They healed because of it. They raised the dead. They proclaimed the gospel, often a very, very simple message, and people got saved. Their motivation wasn't the sinfulness of man, but they were witnesses of Jesus being raised to life. This is why they went. 
This isn't just for in here, the church, within the walls. Okay, God wants to come and heal. He's a compassionate father. He loves us. But this is for out, out there. It's for our communities, our workplaces, our universities. The church needs the power of the resurrection now. Not dead, passive, sitting still, not just a list of rules, but alive and victorious. The church is fundamental to God's glorious purpose in this earth. It's to be full of God's power and life. God's in charge. And he's given us the privilege of prayer. There's power in prayer. Not because of the the words that we say, but because of the one who hears. Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, say this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the church's work, our work, to pray for God's kingdom to come here on the earth. Not to stand back and accept the kingdom of darkness. We don't just need to accept sickness. People don't always get healed, I know. It's not about working ourselves up. As Christians, we are not immune to sickness and suffering. I'm sure you already know that. Don't believe the prosperity gospel's lies that being a friend of Jesus means always being healthy because Lazarus was Jesus' friend and he was loved by Jesus and he got sick and he died. Was it because he had done something wrong? Was it because he wasn't really loved? But we know that as we read, he was loved. It's known on both accounts. We see in verse 40 just a part of the reason. It was for the glory of God. God is passionate about his glory are we passionate about God's glory as we pray for sickness to go? Because it doesn't look half look silly if you stand there and you pray for someone out loud and nothing happens. It's a risk. Does Jesus worry about what he looks like as he commands Lazarus to come out? Or is he consumed with passion for God's glory? Jesus was also passionate about people, genuine compassion and love for those coming to him for healing. He's not cold and detached. He cares. And this is vital for us. Now, Jesus, do we have compassion as we look upon those who are sick? Satan's kingdom is sickness, suffering, and death. I'm not saying every single sickness has a spiritual cause literally. I'm saying sickness as a whole is a result of the fall, the enemy's works. And Jesus is angry at Lazarus' death. It says twice in here, moved. Or as a footnote in my Bible says, indignant or angry. Angry at this death. God calls us to challenge the pretended authority of Satan on this earth. Jesus does pray in front of these people in verses 41 and 42. He does this so that people can see that he's raising Lazarus in God's power alone. But he doesn't actually pray that Lazarus is raised. He commands with authority that he rises. He's got power. And Jesus tells us how we get this power in verses 41 and 42. It's by private time. Father, you always hear me. Father, I know that you have heard me. By persevering in the private place, first, then we will know God's power. Jesus spent much time, as you read through the Gospels, in private, away from the crowds, praying and fasting. And the result is intimacy with God and seeing God's power flow. You can't have the power without the presence. And we need to be in his presence individually and we need to be in his presence as a church together. Miracles are for today. Let's spend time with him alone, worshipping. Because I want my heart to break with compassion over the things that God's heart breaks. Circumstances change as we spend time with our Father. This is for all of us, young to old. Being a Christian two days or a lifetime. 
It's not about complex words. It's actually quite simple. It's loving Jesus, following him completely and believing him. Simply, Lazarus, come out. John Wimber, who had a significant healing ministry, apparently used to say, everyone gets to play. And I love that. Every one of us can join in this adventure with God. God calls us to step out, believe him for the unbelievable. Now, I haven't seen loads of big jaw-dropping miracles. I've seen a few, but I want to believe God for a whole lot more because I'm not satisfied with what I see. I want to carve out time to spend with him like Jesus and know his great power. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the disciples saying, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, as you do. That command hasn't changed today. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Jesus sends his followers, his beloved church, as us, out to proclaim the battle cry in the light of his glorious finished work. <clears throat> the church is the only hope for this world. Charities do great job, they do great work, they help, they rescue, but they don't have the power of the resurrection. The church is the only place that's crying out for God's kingdom to come. In this story, story of the raising of Lazarus, we see also that it has to be in God's way and God's timing. We want it to all happen now. But Jesus does it his, his own way. As we place our trust in him, our faith grows stronger. God's timing is for the strengthening of our faith, which is more precious than gold, as it says in 1 Peter. We develop perseverance as a church when we have to keep on praying, on and on and on sometimes. Before I followed Jesus, I spent a lot of time building up my muscles in the gym. At one point, if you can believe this, I got up to 17 stone muscle. I thought it looked really good. I was totally mistaken. When I look back at some of these pictures, I think, who is that guy? Who is that gorilla? Does not look good. But in gaining size, I knew what to do. I had to basically inflict pain on myself in a form of lifting heavy weights over and over again. And over time, I grew. When Jesus saved me, I followed him and he put me into a different gym where my faith encountered, is encountering and will encounter trials and difficulties. Life, basically. Faith grows over time as we place our trust in him. All authority in heaven and earth is his and there's nothing he can't do. Miracles are for today. Let's believe God as a church. Let's ask. Let's have an adventure together. Everyone gets to play and step out and see what he does. This is what Jesus says to us. He says, new community, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, as you do. But Jesus is about a great work, not temporary, but everlasting. Miracles aren't just for the here and now, which will end. They point to the miracle worker, to Jesus Christ, the saviour. Jesus tells us that God's timing here in Lazarus' death and resurrection is pointing to the ultimate salvation. Though we physically die, Jesus came to beat sin and its wages death and to give eternal life. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? This miracle points to Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. Jesus, the Messiah, who was to die for the sin of his people, the fulfilment of prophetic hope from the very first pages of the Bible, which basically means God said it was going to happen, and it did. You see, as we read, Lazarus was raised to life, but at some point in history, he got older, he got sick probably, and he died. But Jesus says in verse 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This miracle points to what Jesus says. 
I am the resurrection and the life. That's Jesus himself. Anyone who believes in me, he says, come to me, to me, a person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. From this miracle of the raising of Lazarus, I've said this already, the plot to kill Jesus began. You can read it in verses 45 to 57. This resurrection of Lazarus was so shocking that it started a chain of events that changed everything. Through death comes life, eternal life, the greater work. Jesus came to rescue and save. The wages of sin are death, it says in Romans. We get what we deserve. It says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to save the lost sinners. He didn't come as a good teacher with good sayings and ways to get there. The gospel is that Jesus came as the way. He walked a perfect life. He went to the cross to die and he was punished for those who were enemies of him, us, to pay the wages of sin in our place. He died, he was separated, was forsaken for us. But in the death of Jesus, there was hope, real hope, because death couldn't hold him. He rose again, resurrected. His word always first, I am the resurrection, and then I'm the life. If Jesus didn't die, he couldn't rise, and there would be no eternal life. If we follow just a dead good guy, what hope is there? What power to live? Where would the life be? But we do. Through this, we have hope for today and life in abundance. Because of the life of Jesus, we can come and we can ask for healing today. We can pray for breakthrough in situations that seem bleak and they don't seem like there's any possible hope. Because of Jesus' resurrected life, our faith can be strengthened. We can say no to fear. If you can't, let's pray tonight. Ultimately, Jesus is the cause and the source of the believer's glorious resurrection and of everlasting life. Because he lives, we, should, we too shall live. Though we die, may die once, we're going to get resurrected bodies and live eternally upon the new earth, no matter what state your body gets into on this earth. The old has come, gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. The prince of peace, is, the prince of life, is ever the conqueror of death. It's finished. Nothing can separate us from him, declares Paul. Though we will die once, we shall live. The wages of sin are death, but the gift, the present, of God. The gift is eternal life. Martin Luther said that the Bible in a nutshell was John 3.16. This is the great work that Jesus came to accomplish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And tonight I want us to pray. I don't want to just pray here and, and get us to stand up. I want us to get together in groups in a moment and pray for a few things because everyone gets to play that statement by John Wimber and um, I want us to pray about what I felt God speak to me about sharing about friendship with God knowing that he wants your heart not just because he wants you to do a load of things or he wants you to rush around but because he just loves you I want us to pray about signs and wonders as a church I want us to believe that I believe that we can pray tonight if you're sick we can believe and expect God to come and heal and I want to believe that as we see signs and wonders as a church, we're going to see salvation in our communities, in our workplaces, in our universities.